you said the word humility, submission, right? And sanctification. What did what did we want what did what do those three words mean? What was humility? Anybody? Good, good. Okay. Being conscious of God, okay. All right, submission. What did we uh, what did we say submission was? Yes, good. To lay down your life for the brethren. Good. The glad surrender, right? Good. Anybody else? What did we say uh, submission was? Thank you. There it is. Hupatasas. Hupataso. To come under the authority of another. That's really the definition I'm looking for. Uh, so submission, like someone said, it's... Uh, like what Jehu said, it's not a, it's not like you become their slave, but you come under the authority of Christ. In Ephesians 5.21, we should memorize that because that's a practical life verse. We submit one to another in the fear of the Lord, not in their soul. Excellent. Thank you, Mariana. Okay. All right. And then we said something big here about relationships. What did we say about the word relationship? What, what did we say? It's from the word What? Yes, but before rapport, relate. Okay, that, that's very valuable. So in submission, we are relating to the Christ in that person. We're relating to things that we understand or things we don't understand. We're relating to maybe our own past. We're relating on maybe secular tools that we've learned from other relationships. Hopefully not, but that happens. But we're learning to relate to the Christ in somebody's life, okay? Now, what do I mean by that? We said the word rapport, right? Which means what? What's rapport mean? Yeah, getting to know and is a big word. What's the, what's the word? Yes, Josh. Yes, that's, old, that's the ultimate end goal. That's where love is beginning, is when we begin to trust. Yeah. But we're all, I mean, because of the baggage that we carry, unfortunately, God is teaching us how to trust him for that person. And we're building a rapport, or we're building a godly rapport, okay? A connection, something that we are building together as a foundation, okay? Right? So a lot of people look for similarities, but similarities don't keep you together. In relationship counseling, I'm, 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 I am astounded at this point that is true. It's not similarities that keep you together in your relationships. It's your differences. It's your differences. And that's a huge topic, but in short, you're learning each other's lifestyle and each other's spiritual approach, and the differences keep it interesting, right? Otherwise, it'd be just like a wallflower and a, and a plastic bouquet of flowers, you know? It'd be very boring, right? But differences, which, you know, we don't always enjoy, right? Uh, but they keep it fresh, right? They keep it alive. They keep it interesting. They keep it, uh, they keep the fire fiery. <laughs> How many are married here? How many have amazing wives? Yes. 
my wife is like fire in the bosom. You know, it's good. And I'm the wood. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, it's good. We go to God together, and I learn to submit. And she better submit to me to know. No, <laughs> no we, it's really a give and take. And I tell you, if, if there's no humility in a relationship, there's selfishness. There is um, just this misunderstanding after misunderstanding. But if you're going after God and relating to the Christ in that person, I, I want to just talk about that for one minute because i got a lot to talk about. What am I saying when I'm relating to the Christ in that person? What am I saying? What am I saying? You're, you're married, Lennon. What, what am I saying? You're, you're relating to the Christ in your wife. What am I saying? Good. Good. Okay, let's go a little deeper. That's right. Let's go a little deeper. For someone that's going to be married, yes. Yes. Serving. Okay. Something that that we not always from ourselves. Okay. But feeling in this Okay. We relate to the Christ because the Christ. Okay, good. Okay, does anyone hear that? Did anyone hear that? We're serving. We're relating to the Christ in that person. So we're not only serving our spouse or the other person. Let's use Andrew, for instance. I'm not only serving Andrew, but I'm serving Christ in Andrew. So if I see Christ first and then Andrew, my attitude and my way of approach is different. Okay, it's not just some guy in the church. No, but he is a, he's a precious member of the church, right? Yes. Excellent. So let's look at a verse that, that reflects exactly what uh, Brandon just said. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at this together. This is important because... Men, we create our own problems in relationships when we, or women for that matter, women, and I, I say this in a very direct way, men need encouragement. Your men need encouragement, not criticism. And men, women need exactly what Brandon just said. They need to uh, not be reminded of their sin, but to find this potential in them, and we love them, remind them, encourage them, and share with them who Christ sees them to be. And that's Ephesians 5, 25 and 26. In particularly, we see sacrifice in 25, and then 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water in the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be a holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh and nourishes it and cherishes it as the Lord does his church. Okay, This is awesome. So, so let's say there's a blatant failure. Right? Of course we're not going to ignore it or deny it, but we're going to not make that the emphasis. We're going to be helping. We're going to be not just speaking the solution. We're going to 
be the demonstration of the solution. So when you see Christ in the Christ's attitude with, with his disciples, uh, what was he doing? Christ was constantly uh, bringing them higher. He was preferring them higher. He was reminding them of who they are in Christ. So in a relationship where it's very familiar, it's uh, you can't hide in a relationship, right, typically, right? It's demanded of maturity. There's maturity that's demanded in a relationship, right? We want to feed it with the right things. We want to be relating to the right things, okay? Otherwise, if we're relating to, let's say we're disappointed, or let's say we're hoping in something, or let's say we're confused, right? Or we're just whatever, fill in the blanks. Like communication and how we see things, Mark chapter 8, how we see things, and then how we say things, and then how we handle things in that spirit is how we're going to win each other, right? We're going to win each other in our dorm, right? You know, there's a beautiful word called respect. And respect is earned, by the way. It's earned, and we're going to talk about that tonight. And respect is not something I expect, but it's something I give, right? Honor. I honor you, and it's your choice before God if you want to honor me. That's not my business. I hope so, (laughs) but that's not what I'm fighting for. Like someone might say, I remember talking to a pastor one time, and I didn't call him pastor. I forgot. And he corrected me. He said, you should call me pastor. Now, what is that? That's not good. That's not good, right? And there's a context to that situation. But we don't look for respect. We don't expect respect. But it's certainly awesome when we get it, right? And I want to talk about that in light of submission tonight. But when we serve one another, love one another, people will gladly listen and hopefully honor you. But the word respect comes from the word re-inspect, or to look again. You know how you look at one thing and you look away and you don't really see it? But to re-inspect means that you, you actually see it a second time, and you are looking deeper at it and understanding its value. Okay? So this, this is the big word. Oh, I finally found a marker that works. Okay. Relationships... What you value is what is going to be the heart of your relationship. If you value convictions and the other person doesn't, they will learn to value your convictions. If you don't value convictions, then guess what? You both will cave in to whatever uh, propensity that, that, you're, that you want to do. And that's where relate, people fall in love with the body before they fall in love with the heart. And that's, that's a problem, right? Because once you open up that door physically, it is exceptionally difficult, if not impossible, to stop or to, to retract, right? So, you know, attraction and all these things are very valuable. Uh, you know, we're not going to sit here like we're dead or something, but uh, <laughs> we, have pro- we have values that reflect who that person is, not what they are, but who they are in Christ. And that's why as men, we treat women as sisters in the Lord with utmost respect, all right? We, we must do that, all right? And women do the same, uh, and, uh, and I could tell you lots of stories about that, but 
gosh, maybe that'll come out later. But what do you value? You what you do is what you believe. So in a, let's 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 turn back to First Peter chapter three. So we're winning in conduct if there's not a word, right? So so let's say things aren't going your way, or maybe you're reminding one person of something. Let's say. Uh, I don't know, let's use an example. Um, let's say someone's forgetting something, and they keep forgetting it and forgetting. And you're in their life, and you're maybe you're in their dorm, or you're in a relationship, and it starts to bother you. And, and you ever notice when someone's flaws or someone's sin, you see that before you see the person? You ever had that happen before, right? All of a sudden, oh, here comes that person again. And immediately you, you think of something negative. What is that? Well, something has gotten in between, and now we're relating to the sin and what's wrong rather than who that person is in Christ. And I'll say this very clearly. This is a choice. It does not come automatically. But in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, we determine, and that's a strong word, it means we fight to keep at the center Christ in our relationship. We fight in the senses where we choose to keep Christ at the center and forget that the person threw the socks on the floor and or they didn't do the dishes or they yelled at me last week or whatever, whatever happened, we must be quick to forgive. Amen. Right. Are you still with me? Does this make sense? Like I choose to forgive. You know why? Because if I don't forgive, if you don't forgive in relationships, you know what happens? You and I perish, not that person. All right? Romans 14, 4, they stand or fall before God. Now, that doesn't mean I let them live like any way they want, but I don't sit there as their judge. It's like me drinking poison and looking at that other person thinking that they're going to die. Okay, that's, that's ludicrous, right? Same principle here. If someone fails you, and they will in relationships, they will do it. Love is exceptionally messy, and that's what makes it worth it. Because it's an absolute miracle. Any relationship is, is, is healthy. And it doesn't, happen by, it doesn't happen by accident. It's a personal investment of Christ. It's just like someone building a house. How are you going to build your house? You're going to build it with popsicle sticks, right? Or are you going to build it with brick and stick and mortar, right? What you build with is up to you. And a great verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Way off my topic tonight, but that's okay. 11 through 14, we, want wood, we don't want wood, hay, and stubble. We want gold, silver, and precious stones. All right? 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 14. It is, I, I want to give that person what they need, not what they deserve. I want to be that person that reminds them of their value. Now, let's say you're tired. Let's say you're discouraged. Let's say you just want to retaliate. What do you do? You relate to God. You relate to God without even thinking about that person. And you just say, okay, God, I don't care if they don't even change. And that's a big statement. I'm going to change. I'm going to mature. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk together, agreed, in Amos 3. 3. And this is the difference between relationships making it or not, period. They won't make it unless we relate to Christ and one another. Because we all are flesh and bones. We're a big bag of bones. Some are small bags of bones. 
But we are, we are depraved, and without Christ, relating to Christ, guess what? It'll just be uh, just a selfish, selfish communication. Isn't that great? Aren't you edified by that? <laughs> but it doesn't have to be, right? Right? So relating to Christ, amen? That's why you want to fall in love with someone that has a relationship with God, right? You want to fall in love with somebody that has a walk with God. You want to be falling in love with someone that's a Christ follower. If, an unbel- if, you, if, if I'm a believer falling in love with an unbeliever, they may have the whole package, but they're, they're not even in the kingdom, and that will be an issue later on as you raise your kids and as you consider values to build your life. Believe me, believe me, and I'm sure you know that. That's why, that's why we wait and follow and pursue the Lord, and God gives us what we need. Amen? I was, uh, today I was watching a video with Rachel over there in Romania. Who's her husband? She married a Romanian. Is that a Romanian she married? Anybody know? Rachel Jones? Paul. Yeah, I listened to their vows. I almost cried. It was so awesome. It was like, I mean, a testimony there. And I know Rachel a little bit pursuing the Lord and just putting her heart on the altar. And God really honored her. And, And Paul... Seems like an awesome guy. So anyway, we're not looking. See, relationships are not perfect. This is where things go sideways. I got to be perfect. I got to be spiritually like Pastor Shabelli. I got to have some sort of standard. And I got to say something. You are you. Isn't that deep? That wasn't Shakespeare, by the way. You are you. You are you. And you are unique. And you are made in the image of God. And if you are pursuing God... God will equip you for her or for him, right? I don't have to be perfect, right? That's one thing I, I one thing that really struck me about my wife when I was dating her is I could just be myself. I didn't have to be a superhuman person, right? And uh, she made me better, or at least I think so. So, all right, should we keep talking about relationships? I kind of like talking about relationships. Okay, are you guys okay? You guys awake? Okay, so 1 Peter 4, so submission, I want to kind of get to that in a minute. Uh, But 1 Peter 4, again, we're seeing this, uh, verse 1, Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves also in the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh ceases from sin, that he no longer should give the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of man, but for the will of God. See, this is what happens. Suffering, okay, no one wants to suffer, but the fruit of suffering reduces us to God, right? It reduces us to soberness, and we're arming ourselves with the understanding that Christ did it so that we could be free. So, Uh, So this present liberation gave future vindication, which means your suffering today will equip you tomorrow. The maturity that you have put in your life today will be something that holds you for the rest of your life, right? Have anybody gone through difficult situations and you're different on the other side, right? Hopefully softer as we go positive to the work of will of God. Okay. 
All right, 7 through 11, we love one another through difficulties. Okay, now then let me say something about this. Let's look at verse 7 through 11. How you and I relate to somebody in failure tells a lot about our faith. How I relate to myself in failure tells me a lot about my faith. And how I relate to other people when they're failing tells a lot about my gospel and my faith. So what am I saying? We can be so uh, pharisaical thinking that, oh, I would never do that, or I can't believe that person did that, and what's wrong with that person, and I'm so, I've, you know, I, 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 right? And I, I, I. It's like, it's, uh, it's a disaster when I think that I am better than another person, right? And Christ is saying here, he learned obedience. We know this verse, right? Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. He learned obedience, and he learned how to uh, relate as the Son of God, but also the Son of Man, right? He identified with man. So there's no greater joy than when someone goes through something, and guess what? You're present. You're just present with them. Maybe you're not talking. Maybe you're not correcting. Maybe you're not looking down your wire rim glasses and you know somehow being self-righteous. No, you're present. You're letting that person just vent. You're letting that person just uh, pour out their heart, and then you just then you wrap your arms around them and you're loving them, listening to them, praying with them. Maybe not saying a whole lot, actually. And that's ministry in failure. Okay? I find a lot of people uh, are hurting, and we don't know how to relate to them. Now, if someone's hurting, do I relate to their failure? Is is the center of my conversation now their failure? Let me give you five reasons why you shouldn't have done what you did. Now, is that going to edify them? Okay? It's constructive criticism, which I don't believe in. But creative communication is a whole other world. It means I don't deny what happened, but I'm going to look beyond. Big word. I'm going to look beyond and say, okay, what did that, what did that teach you? How do you look at God differently now? How do you look at yourself differently? And we weep with them that weep, and we rejoice with them that rejoice. And there's compassion, sympathy, empathy. There is, there's like, hey, we're human. There's humanness. But our humanness is not the center of what we relate to. We're relating to Christ. right? Not in a religious way. But hey, how does Christ see you? How, does, how is it in your suffering, how are you finding Christ? And oftentimes we have to redirect people because suffering can be very self-centered. Woe is me. I'm having a bad day. I'm a bad person. I'm, uh, and all of a sudden I'm, and then the negativity goes right, right to this whole uh, verbal uh, whipping post like we talked about last week. But it's like, no, 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 wait a second. We don't want to have just DTP. This is big. This is not a chemical, by the way. Destructive thought patterns. We have to interrupt people's destructive thought patterns and say, listen, your failure is not the central issue here. We certainly don't want you to do it. 
We don't want you to continue in it. We certainly don't want you to experience the consequences of it because mercy rejoices over judgment, right? James chapter 2, I believe it's verse 9. Correct me on that. It's amazing. What are we relating to? We're We're moving people back to the center. Practically speaking, let's say somebody um, gets gets in a car accident. I almost got in three of them on the way over here tonight. It was great. I was driving over sidewalks and two, no, almost. It was just an absolute disaster tonight getting here. Let's say someone gets in a car accident and they, get, they become hard on themselves. And they say, I'm a terrible driver. I should, and they just get into this whole, like, I got to beat myself up. How do we help someone get out of destructive thought patterns? What would you say to somebody that just wants to be hard on themselves? What would you say? Talk to me. Can I say something about it that when uh, people fail, I think sometimes like God is working in some people's life. One, we, we, we didn't discern the time and period, and we just jumping into the operation. Uh-huh. And that's not the right way to jump, just made and in the right time to have that people. Okay. okay. And second is like, I think sometimes we, we just, we love, we really love people and we just attached with them and it becomes a pity party. Yes. And that's like, it's like, instead of helping them, it's become a like really goes something different, different places. So we should like also understand that it's not going to be pity party. Okay, with the reality you fail or something, everybody can be a failure. But then that's not the point. We in a speed. Good. Okay, here's a good verse that you guys can look at. It's Job 35, 6 through 8. Literally, our failure does nothing to God, Job is saying. It does something to us, but it does nothing to God. In this sense, it doesn't change who God is in our life, right? So we don't have a pity party, right? We don't just sit there and three boxes of Kleenex later, you know, we're just like feeling like the scum of the earth. No, no, no. We have to take it somewhere. So where are we taking it? Destructive thought pattern. What, where do we do? How do we interrupt it and re, realign the train that's derailed? Brandon. Okay, good. Word of God, God's truth. To the cross. I don't know what that means to you when you say that, but but I can say, do I tell that person you need to go to the cross? Is that going to minister to them? Probably not, right? But how do you mean that? Let's say they're hurting. Hurting is different than being offended or being proud. Hurting is different. When somebody fails, that means that possibly sin. Yep. And the cross, if you remember, it's all God not remembering sin. Okay, good. So when I mean cross, that whatever he does, whatever he do, whatever his failure is, is nothing in the eyes of the God because of that cross. Okay. So can if God doesn't remember that, he shouldn't be staying on that. Okay, good. And what are some verses here? What are some verses that help us, Gerard? We see Jeremiah fifty twenty, right? It's a good verse. And by the way, we're not sitting there with terminology. By the way, we. We really, we really have to be careful not to use terminology uh, because that, that creates a platform 
that leaves us unrelatable in some regards. Like we want to be speaking the term rather than giving the term, right? So going to the cross, we could say, hey, Jeremiah 50, 20. We might not even quote the verse, but we say, it says that God has cast your sin behind his back and it's no longer a reference. So that's excellent. Yes, Zoe. Yeah, whatever. It's just anything, yeah. Yes. So what's Zoe saying? Give him perspective. Perspective, right? Why am I bringing this up? And I'm saying this because Jane, uh, Peter here, excuse me, Peter, he is speaking what he has learned from failure. What did Peter do? What, what was Peter's, what was his like disqual- potential disqualification? What did he do? He denied Christ. But he also swore, <laughs> he, lo- he lost his mind for a night. Swearing, uh, yeah, didn't, let's just leave it like that. He denied Christ, right? And he, what did he almost do, right? He almost, like, he almost lost it, right? But what brought him back? What brought Peter back? Christ, what did Christ do? I'm sorry, I don't have the scripture for it. But he did something specific with Peter. Yes. Say again. Yeah. Okay, before he did that, that's right. He did two things before that. Olu. Yeah. Okay, that was before the denial, but that's right. What happened after the denial, Josh? Okay. <laughs> Somebody's hungry. Amen. Before that, I'm sorry, I'm being crazy here, but he did something. It's something small. Jesus, Sandin, help us. Okay, so that's the second one. Okay. That's the second one. He he referred and invited Peter back. Yes. The first one was when uh, when Peter denied him. Over the crowd, Jesus catches Peter's eyes. Remember that? And they they were eyes of love. And Peter went out and wept. I don't have the scripture for that, but he totally is broken by the countenance and the face of Christ. 
Do you know, it's interesting. It takes, I think, 52 muscles to smile. Is that right? It's like over 50 mu muscles to smile, right? Our countenance, our body language. You know, they say in communication, it's, um, let's see if I can remember this, 8% words, 37% tone, and 55%, I don't know if that matches here, uh, 50, over 55% body language. And Jesus looked at Peter and knew he was, he says, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me, Peter, but that's not going to be the center of our relationship. You, I've prayed for you. You're going to build my church. And through his denial, he has learned timeless truths. And this is why First and Second Peter are so rich, because this is what he's learned through failure. So failure is inevitable, and not that we're looking to fail. I don't want to say, well, fail everybody, you know. Oh, God will understand. That, that's spiritual ignorance, by the way. Oh, I'll just do this and God will forgive me. Oh, really? Yeah, he's forgiven you, but the consequence might rock your world and make it very difficult for you. But, all right, I have to get back in here. Okay, you guys are so uh, participating tonight. I like this. Okay, so notice First uh, Peter 4, we see... For verse 6, for this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but we live according to God in spirit. So the gospel center, the gospel center is Christ. So in failure, I'm not analyzing someone's failure, that's not going to help us, but we're looking beyond the fault and we're introducing Christ and Christ's truth, and we're helping them lead them there. Now, let's say the person doesn't want that. Well, you can't control that. And really, we can't do anything about it. We can only love them in the moment, pray for them, and maybe they need to go deeper in their sin to understand the depth of it. Okay. All right, let's look at 12 through 19. I think we've covered this, but 12 through 19, the fiery trial... The fiery trial. Think it not strange, right? Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is within you, as though something strange will happen to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in the sufferings of Christ. Again, we are partaking in a little bit of what Christ endured. So we said there's the trial. We said there's the fiery trial. And we said there's the momentum test. What, what is... A trial. What is that? What's the purpose of a trial? Test our faith. Very good. Okay, to bring us to God. How about a fiery trial? What does fire do? Good. That's exactly the word I wanted. Refining. Purify. Right? The, 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 uh, the three Hebrew boys, right? The only thing that burned was what bound them. It's amazing. All right? And that's the purpose in our trials, is God is reducing us and setting us free. And then momentum test. What's the momentum test? We've talked about that. What did we say that was? Momentum test. Yes, all of them do. Yes, but momentum test is something special. Yes, right. Okay, Tessa. Okay, good. What's momentum? Yes, Mariana. 
Yes. Okay, there it is. We're tested on every side to build momentum. How does momentum happen? There's, there's a velocity. There's a, there's, a, there's a motion that creates velocity, that creates uh, movement, right? And momentum is a self-propelled uh, engine or... Let's say you're going down the hill, you're on your skateboard. Any skateboarders here? I used to skateboard when I was a teenager, believe it or not. And I hurt myself so bad, it was crazy. I was going down this wicked hill, and I was moving very fast. And before I knew what I was doing, I, was, I went off my skateboard, and I hit my head on the curb. It's a miracle. I didn't like, that was game over right there. And when I came to, I thought to myself, I'm never getting on a skateboard again. <laughs> so skateboarding and motorcycle accidents. I, I barely survived my teen years, actually. Um, but why did I bring that up? Oh, yeah, momentum. God is testing you. God is removing things so that you can move with him. So momentum tests. You're tested on every side so that you can move with him uh, without restriction. Isn't that good? All right. I want to look at verse 17 for a minute. I want to read you something, okay? So we are, okay, this verse shows where we are today in spiritual prophecy. You ready for it? Here it is. 417, are you there? For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And it begins with us first. What we will be in the end of those who do not obey uh, the gospel of God. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where is the ungodly when the sinner appears? Okay. Judgment starts in the house of God. What on earth does that mean? So we've talked about personal judgment because of wrong decisions. We've talked about spiritual warfare where there's judgment and we're on display. Right? We're on display for people to recognize our maturity. Right? Correct? Those two judgments. This one's different. The judgment begins at the house of God. That means this, that government does not reflect the condition of society. The church does. Okay, think with me for a minute. Government, people look at the government and they say, oh, the government's so corrupt. And they chastise the government, right? And they say, oh, it's because of the government it reflects the, the expression or the condition of society. It's the government's fault, right? That's far from the truth. It's very far from the truth. Why? Because if you look through the book of Acts, if you look through the Gospels, the church impacted society. The church impacted governments. The church impacted the masses. So it's the condition of the church that reflects what's going on in society. So when you look at our society, what do you see? What do you see? Tell me, what do you see in our society today? What? Diversity? Diversity? Oh, perverseness, yes. Okay. What else do we see? Okay. 
At odds, okay, that's better. Yeah. Conflict, right? At odds. What else? You just see more and more churches going against the gospel, catering to culture. Good. Talk to me more about that. What else do you see? Yes, Nick. Okay, very good. Right? False doctrines, doctrine of demons. What else? What else do we see in our society? Good. Okay. Now, the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Now, I don't want to throw the church under the bus today. I'm not talking about our church. And there are many good churches, right? But the church has lost its light and it's lost its salt. You got rainbow flags blowing in the air. What, what does that show you? Does that show you diversity? Does that show you inclusion? Does that show you tolerance? These are not words that are, are God-fearing words, right? We see corruption. We see confusion. We see nobody has a backbone to stand up and actually hold on to the word as the words of God. That's why our mission is awesomely difficult <laughs> and impossible without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, we will see miracles happen. We will see Cities turned around. I love this. Isaiah 61. This is my promise. Four and five. We will rebuild the wasted cities. How on earth are we going to do that? By preaching and living the Bible. We will dig wells. We'll build houses. We'll walk the, the widow across the street. We'll do all that. That's James 1.27. But we are going to preach the gospel, disciple the gospel, and the waste places and the ruined cities will be restored, right? And I believe that'll happen. So God has to deal with the church. If the church is off, how is the church going to give any type of um, testimony to the world? Because the world is going down the hatch. They're going to hell in a handbasket, as they say. Who's going to grab the handbasket and say, wait a minute, we got to turn this thing around. Let's get back to the gospel. Let's get back to truth. Let's forget our opinion. Let's think about absolute truth. Let's focus on absolute truth and the finished work and stop having man at the center of our religion. This has really been twisting me up recently. Ask yourself, is your gospel man-centered or Christ-centered? Analyze it. If it doesn't point to Christ, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's Christ plus nothing. Anyway, I get stirred up about that. Okay. So judgment happens in the... And so this is why there's a call to repentance. This is why there's a call to humility. It's us if my people humble themselves and pray. What verse is that? Second Chronicles what? Someone look it up. Someone look it up. If my people humble themselves and pray, I will What? What will I do, Jesus said. Joe, read it. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked. Our wicked ways. Uh-huh. I'll hear their land. Yes. What else will he do? Go ahead. Someone finish the verse. We lost. 
I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. This verse is a pivotal verse in the days we live in. So if the church, it's so funny, I say this a lot. I had a new person come to the church and they say, I say, what do you like about our church? She goes, I, I love it because you open the Bible. Like, if that is a characteristic of this church today, that we're a Bible-believing, Bible-centered church that lifts Christ up, then we have reached the New Testament church of Acts chapter 2, 41 through 47. I'm not interested in the universal, uh, unitarian, universalist. I'm not interested. Or the progressive whatever, or the liberal whatever. i got to be careful because I'm starting to get my high blood pressures going up here. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about the Bible. Let's keep it simple, right? Okay, so, so this person says this. Kirby Anderson says this. Watching our nation leave the landmarks given to us through blood, sweat, and tears is grieving. The process of a declining country is, number one, they move from bondage to spiritual faith. Okay, I'll, I'll give this to you so you don't have to write it down. But This is how people turn the, the nation. And it all starts with personal. Doesn't it start with us? It's us first, correct? We move from bondage to spiritual faith. We get sick and tired of our pit. Right? We get sick and tired of our bondage. 70 years in bondage. You think the Israelites were pretty sick and tired of their bondage? All right? Just talk to a communist country today. Believe me, it's uh, when they see... Okay, I'll just read it. The first stage, you move from bondage to spiritual faith. The second stage is spiritual faith to great courage. People then step into their identity and they begin to do the works of God. Great, the great awakening, right? The third stage moves from great courage to liberty. And we know in our history here in America, through a miracle of God, we became a sovereign nation under great, great duress. It's really a miracle. Really a miracle. There was no reason, no earthly reason why we could have beaten the English. There's no, there's, it was a miracle. People say the prosperity of America is because of economy. That's secularism at its core. It isn't. It is because of the gospel, religious freedom, and because humble people got on their face, like in any nation we could say, and they cried out to God, and God says, okay, it's time to change this. Okay, look at this. The fourth stage moves from independence to abundance. You see any abundance around? Our world is full of abundance in the first world countries, right? What is that from? It comes from spiritual faith, abundance. God blesses the principles of the word. He blesses the people that fear the Lord. We're going to break here in a minute. Oh my goodness, that clock is moving way too fast. Okay. The fifth stage... Abundance to selfishness, okay? All of a sudden, the pendulum just kind of went like this. Now, all of a sudden, it's not about generosity and abundance, and now it's about gimme, gimme, gimme. Take, take, take. I want more, more, more. Entitlement. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. The sixth stage moves from... uh, moves from desire to complacency. So now I'm envying and lusting after abundance, and now that I have it, or you have it, we stop 
we get complacent. We kind of become like a slug. If I looked at a slug, they're pretty awesome. Little fat thing sticking in one place. We kind of just, ugh. We kind of consume it upon our lusts. The seventh stage, we move from complacency to apathy, which means we don't care anymore. We don't, and we're beyond this, by the way, here in, the, in our country. We're beyond this stage. Where now it does, if it doesn't affect me, I don't think about it. Oh, I'm sorry that happened to you, but, you know, can you pass me my Starbucks? You know what I'm saying? It's like, not to be funny here, but if it doesn't affect someone directly, they do not care. The eighth stage moves from apathy to moral decay. Which means, and we are there, obviously. I don't care. Therefore, you can be a girl, even if you're a guy. You can be a guy on a swim team and <laughs> and swim with the girls and and go to girls' bathrooms and and have this this gender confusion and the moral decay of divorce, violence, and and so on and so forth. This is where we are. The ninth stage. You want to hear something interesting? The ninth stage moves from moral decay to dependence. To dependence. Are you following this? Is this interesting? Isn't this great? Nine o'clock at night. Nice heavy topic. No, we're learning this so we do something about it. The church of God is saying, no, 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 we're not going to go back to bondage. So apathy leads to dependence. And this is what's going on. We're being told how to think. We're being told what to do. We're given things for free with strings attached that will suppress generations to come. And yes, it will without a move of God. And the 10th stage, dependency back to bondage. Or occupation or loss of sovereignty. So... Judgment starts at the heart at, at the house of God because you and I, the church, are the only ones that can turn this boat around. Amen. So that's that's why we submit to God and we stop this decay. You want to hear him again? And then we'll break. You want to hear him again? You guys over on the left side? You guys awake over here? You good? First stage is bondage to spiritual faith. And that's awesome. Just study our history. It's amazing, isn't it? They cried out to God because they had nothing left. You don't know that you need God until he's all that you have. Hmm. The second stage is from spiritual faith to great courage. The third stage is great courage to liberty. And that's an awesome word. Freedom. Freedom not to live like the devil, but freedom to initiate a God-fearing way. A God-fearing way. Mm. Boy, we need need liberty. Uh, As Christians, we should not. Remember remember we talked about Galatians 2.4? The devil spies out our liberty. He wants to steal it. Protect your liberty. Don't, Don't be in bondage to people. Don't be in bondage to sin. Don't be in bondage to some person's soulishness. Oh, that's a, I could go off on that one too. The fourth stage moves from independence to abundance. We've never experienced such riches 
ever. The fifth stage moves from abundance to selfishness. There it is. Somehow I got this. Somehow I did this. The fifth stage moves from abundance to selfishness. The sixth stage moves from desire to complacency. The seventh stage moves from complacency to apathy. Doesn't hurt, doesn't touch me, you know. Oh, it will. Oh, it, it will. It will. And this is why we can't just have our little head in the sand kind of thing, right? This is why we have a biblical worldview. This is why we're walking in faith. This is why we don't have a theology of apology. We are speaking. Why? Because we want to rescue our nation, our family, our community, right, for the gospel. Because when they stand before God, they're not going to be able to say, I never heard the gospel. Because God will play back multiple times when they heard the gospel. All right, that's why we soul win and we present the gospel. Okay, where are we? The eighth stage moves from apathy to moral decay. And I don't know about you, our society is so absurd. I can't think about it uh, too long without... Uh, just kind of shaking my head. The ninth stage moves from moral decay to dependence. And this is the one I'm most worried about. This is the one I'm most worried about. Dependence. Dependence. Most of us have never experienced that. Most of us have never really experienced dependence or slavery or bondage. And I hope we don't. And the last stage is dependence to bondage. So what's the answer? We're right with God, and we help other people walk right with God. Amen. All right, we got to we got to have we got to have a break. <laughs> Any questions? Any comments or questions on this? Yes. Whole cycle. Exactly. So could you call like the the stage we're heading into like a pre revival if it's cyclical like that? Absolutely. The remnant, I believe in a revival. I believe it'll happen in pockets. Will it happen worldwide? I'd love to think so. But the remnant will absolutely have a revival. Will our nation turn back to God? I hope so. I don't know. Right? Calamity, calamity gets people's attention, unfortunately. We have to wait till everything falls apart before we like, oh, there's a God. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Any other comments? Does that stir you up? Does it stir you up a little bit? Yes, Joe. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote, something like, uh, pain is the loudspeaker God uses to get our attention. Ooh. So he'll try to get our attention with a little bump in our life. We don't wake up. The next event in our life will be a little louder, a little more intense. And so eventually we're like on our knees, like, okay, I hear you. Excellent. Now, we're not certainly, you know, I would say, right, Joe, most pain or some pain is self-imposed. Like if we would just obey God and walk with him, maybe some things could be avoided, right? Yes, Brandon. Um, maybe. I believe uh, Christians as a whole, yes, be careful not to look at, look at all the bads directly. Oh no. 
you know, buy the ticket, go to Fleet of Costa Rica or something. <laughs> um, but but we, we have no idea. We have no idea what's going to happen next. We have to believe that, um, we just have to believe that God's plan is good. We're a part of it. If we're here, he's got something good for us to do. And he's going to do it. And, and people's lives are going to get impacted. Yes. So it is going to happen. Amen. Around us because we are the light of Christ. Yes. It doesn't matter what the news says. Even if it's conservative news, it doesn't, doesn't matter. They're not, they're not, I'm not bashing conservative news or whatever. I'm just saying. Oh, please bash it. We, we get our information from God. We don't get our, our truth from the news. What's you know, currently Amen. We got to close on that thought. That is so good. That's why we have hope. That's why we have faith. That's why the promises of God never fail us. Amen. Amen. Let's let's break for ten minutes. Let's be back for nine thirty. Amen. Uh, Sandin prepared that. Did a great job, and it, it's to reinforce what we're going to talk about next: uh, submission in the church. Um, so. Uh, review that on your own. It's meant to be an assignment that kind of helps you uh, study it out for your own, okay? Because I don't want to tell you what to think. I want you to be in the book, and the Spirit bears witness to the truth. Amen? All right, Lord bless these next few minutes. In Christ's name, amen. Um, okay, so First Peter chapter 5. Now, this is going to be brief, and probably I'll talk more about it next class. But there's a term called uh, church hurt. And unfortunately, because of the abuse of power or ignorance on what authority truly is, people get hurt. Okay, people get hurt. So I, with you, are very sensitive on making sure that the power that we're given is to serve and not to lord it over or to rule people, but to serve, love, and care for people, okay? Care means we fight for the weak, okay? We fight for the weak. We fight for those that do not have a voice. We fight on our knees. We fight on in using what we have to bless others. So when we talk about submission in the church, as leaders, and I'm talking to all of you, as leaders, it's really important we get this straight. Because so many people get hurt because of the misuse of power. If God's given you any substance, influence, authority, it is to serve. It is to serve. It is to serve. It is to serve. I'm not having a brain aneurysm right now. It is to serve. It's to serve, okay? So when we see the five, the five things here, uh, four things here, excuse me, uh, the first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 5, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and are a partaker of the glory to be revealed. So Peter is saying, I was there as an eyewitness. I have credibility. I know what I'm talking about. 
I am the shepherd of the flock of God, which is among you, serving as an overseer, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those that entrusted to you, but being examples to the flocks, to the flock, and the chief, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. All right, what is he saying? We are submitted to Christ, and therefore authority or influence or power is reflecting another person, right? It's reflecting Christ or reflecting his teachings, okay? So let's say I'm a song leader, right? Andrew does such a great job in Frederick. He is serving the body. He is seeking God so that he knows how to lead the body in worship. So number one, we are ministers. We're ministers. We're ministers. It means we have a ministering spirit. Okay? We are expressing and sharing and serving and loving and uh, expressing to the people the ministry of the spirit. Okay? Number two, we are mentors. Big word. Mentors. We're disciplers. We are those that lead others in the pattern of Christ. Not saying we're perfect, but we're leading people that want to learn to grow beyond themselves. We are mentors. We are speaking into people's life. That's what the word mentorship means. We're speaking into their life. And that's why when people submit to you in the fear of the Lord... We want to be very careful how we handle them. They're not, they're not going to wash our car and shine our shoes. No, we're going to walk with us together in ministry, learning as we are. We're not, as pastors, we all put our pants on the same way. And what I mean by that is we're all learning. And if someone says they're not, then I would get far away from them as possible. We're mentors. And then we're, thirdly, we're managers. And I don't like that word. I don't like manager as a word because we manage things and we lead people. Okay? So I'd like to change that word, but it's because of M, the four M's. I'd like to say leaders. Okay? Leaders. We're looking down the road further than everyone else. Okay? We're leading people. Hey, come with me. Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Managers manage things, and they're important, right? Events in the church. Uh, they manage, um, you know, details, which, uh, which in inReach, administration's a big deal. But I have a, I have a rule with, with administration. Administration must keep me in front of people. The moment administration takes me from people... That's the moment it goes out the window, right? So what we do keeps us in front of people so that we're effectively ministering to people, right? Okay. We're managers, and we see that in verse 3. Not to lord it over you like I'm the man in charge, you know? What is that, right? Or some egoism. Religion, religion is full of ego. Hmm. And then we model. Isn't this good? I'm nothing much. 
but I'm a sinner saved by grace. You want to learn about grace? Take a look at my life, <laughs> right? Is it perfect? Am I doing it right all the time? No, I'm crying out to God with you, Lord, Lord Jesus, give me mercy. Help me to focus. And look at verse 4 on what you, what you are and what you've done. Look, look at verse 4. Um, it says here, we're not lordering over those that entrust you. People trust you. People trust you. What you say, what you do, your decisions. The devil might say, oh, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't affect anybody. That's the furthest thing from the truth. People are watching your life. Right? And I don't want to put pressure on you, but I'm just saying we are not islands unto ourselves, Right? And by the way, the minister in the church is not only the pastor. I love how Pastor Ronaldo says it. The ministry of the church is for the whole church to minister. It's the whole church. We've been talking about our elderly in our church. We have over 300 people in our church that's over the age of 60. Not that we make ages about anything, but we're saying in the aging of our church, there's more ministry opportunities. And who will be the one that ministers and listens to the one that's that's elderly and infirmed, and who will learn their story, love them with God's story. It's, it's an amazing opportunity. So in look at verse 4. He says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, and this is it, okay? By the way, church is not my career, by the way, okay? But it's, it's a calling. When the chief shepherds appear, who, Christ is going to crown you, right? He's going to crown you. I mean, I think of, of uh, Brandon, right, going around the world evangelizing as an evangelist, right? I think of Josh and his Bible study and street and his ministry. I, and I, I think I can go around the room here. It's like, um, you know, we don't need necessarily need a large lit up platform. It's one-on-one with people. Do you know that 70% of counsel happens between peers? 70% of people get their counsel from their peers, right, Joe? If not higher. Before they come to pastoral care, before they listen to the Bible, unfortunately, <laughs> they're going to listen to us, right? Fortunately, unfortunately, anyway, that's not a good word. They're going to listen to you. So what kind of counsel are we going to give them? Are we going to give them counsel, right? Or are we going to give them advice? Are we going to add a vice? That's what I call advice. We're going to add another vice. <laughs> Oh, we could go off on that one. Okay, so in the church, I really want to, I really want to challenge us. Let's look at Hebrews thirteen for a minute. Hebrews thirteen. The church hurt. What happens? Well, I think a lot of church hurt happens because people get offended. I, I think that's ninety percent of it. People get offended because their flesh doesn't go to the cross. There is a percentage of misuse or mishandling and abuse. That's horrific, right? By the way, if you, I don't want to sound like the airport here, but if you see something, say something. That is true in the church. If you see something strange, talk, talk to leadership about it. Don't go sideways and say, hey, you see that? Whatever. Like, don't go that way. Go up. And because we guard the flock of God, right? We're overseers, Acts 20, 28. This is a big word. You know, a lot of people see, see the pastor as like some, you know, humble preacher guy or whatever. But no, these pastors are warriors, right? 
they would beat off the wolves, right? So they're not only are they guarding the flock, but they're leading the flock. And in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, they're exposing false teachers, okay? All right, Hebrews 13, 7. Who wants to read this? Uh, Ray, you want to read that? Do you mind? 13, 7, yep. Okay, I'm going to give you seven. You there, Ray? Got it. Okay, all right. Uh, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and uh, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Good. So imitate their faith or follow their faith. Follow their faith. I'm going to say something here, uh, and you, you take it hopefully the way I mean it. We do not follow a man. We've been accused of that over the decades, and that's totally erroneous anyway. But somehow people think that, and it's happened in Christianity where they follow the man. I remember in certain circumstances, if the pastor didn't preach in the pulpit, certain people wouldn't come to service because they only listen to that one pastor. What is that? That's ridiculous. That's what that is. The Holy Spirit speaks through the man of God or the woman of God that's ministering. So we follow their faith, right? Because your leaders will fail you. Hopefully not, but they will. You have, to, you have to understand that they're a bag of bones, but they are also used of God. And I want to illustrate this again. 13, 17. Uh, Chelsea, can you read verse 17? Look at this. Yes. Are you there? Who's there? Okay, uh, Nick. Sorry, Chelsea. I'll give you the next one. You, you there now? Yeah. Okay, go for it. Yeah, thirteen seventeen. Okay, this is a huge principle. This is a principle that's not really taught in a lot of circles right there. Why do we have a local pastor? Why? Because we are accountable because one day when we stand before Christ, we'll stand before Christ alone, but also we will stand before Christ with our pastor giving an account of our life. It's scriptural. I can give you several scriptures on that, but that's one of the best ones. So, the local pastor is not just some additive in my life. I need one. I need to have accountability because of blind spots and because of natural ways of thinking. We will never reach our potential without a local pastor. All right, let's look at one more verse. Uh, Andrew, can you look at 1 Timothy 5.17? They give watch for your soul. Now, because I, I work with Pastor Schaller directly, and often we are talking, almost I feel like daily, he prays for you. He loves you. He thinks about you. Uh, it is not just a job for him. He eats, breathes, bleeds, sweats the gospel, really. And this is, 
This is why Jeremiah 3.15 is so big. It's because God will give you uh, servants or pastors or pastor teachers after his own heart. Do you know this verse? This is a verse everyone should memorize. 30, Jeremiah 3.15. Right? That's why a local church is not an option. It's a necessity if I'm going to have any effect in this world. Oh, I go to church once every, you know, every Easter and Christmas. Well, your faith reflects that. Thank you very much. That's why you're miserable, maybe. But a church, it, it refines us. It, it ministers and strengthens us in warfare. There's so much warfare and evil in the world that we are no match for unless we have a covering. Unless we have 1 Timothy 5.17. Andrew, can you read that, please? Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in ministry. Okay, this is another teaching that's gotten, gotten twisted. Double honor. Okay, double honor. Now, in some circles, the pastor asks, and not our church, but I'm laughing because I, I see these things on YouTube where the guy is asking for money for his kids and money for watches and money for his jet and money for this. It's totally blasphemous. That's totally blasphemous. Makes me, okay, I have, I'm going to have to take my blood pressure pills. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even take blood pressure pills, but it, it should make us angry because it's, it's such a mockery what the world is doing right now. But as humble and lowly uh, men and women of God, they are worth double honor. Why double? Why double? Why, Andrew? Yep. Yes. Very good. Okay. What else? What else? Double honor. What else? Okay. Good. But double honor for what? What are we honoring? You're both right. But what are we honoring? The word. The word. Okay, this is important. That is the center. Where you and I are honoring the word, not only in their life, but the word that the Spirit speaks to the church. Revelations chapter 1 through 3, seven times. What does the Spirit speak say to the church? God is speaking to the pastor. Is he only speaking to the pastor? No, he's not speaking only to the pastor. But he is speaking to the pastor to lead the church to be effective ministers in the gospel. Have you ever studied something and all of a sudden you come to church and it's very similar to what you've been studying? That's awesome. That means you're walking in the spirit. But Revelations 1 through 3, what is the spirit speaking to the church? Well, the pastor who is a bishop, who wants to read Acts 20, 28? Let's look at that. He is tuning in so he can lead you and I in uh, strength and victory and truth, the truth. And this is a very difficult day. And this is why God is dealing with the church. That's why seven out of churches, seven out of ten churches closed during the pandemic. You know why? Because maybe they needed to close. And I'm sorry to say that because we know that the church is a beacon of light. Imagine being out there on a boat and the lighthouse turns off its light. What's going to happen? 
what's going to happen? You're going to crash, right? And a lot of people have crashed. So you and I were presenting a clear message of the gospel. And by the way, what I know of Christ will also be reflected in my gospel. What do, you, what do you know about Christ? It'll be communicated in your gospel, right? Acts 20, 28, who, who had that? Yes, Josh. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has many distinguishes. Yeah. It's serious. Oh, of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Very good. That's serious stuff, isn't it? That's why I don't, I don't slam a church. I don't talk evil about a pastor. Right? I don't do that. I don't care what he's doing in one sense. I'm not his judge, but I want to be very careful because uh, that could cause trouble for me and you, right? All right, let's look back at 1 Peter chapter 5. So double honor, okay? The, the word of God, it is living, it's powerful. The living gospel, it's alive. It's alive. All right. 1 Peter chapter 5. So uh, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another. Be clothed with humility. I can't believe that person told me what to do. I mean, cross check, buddy. You know, cross check. Like, am I at the cross? God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, I'm not going to say, you know, some people might say, oh, the Lord told me and they do this whole thing. I'm a little skeptical about that. I mean, the Holy Spirit will confirm the truth in that person's heart as well. I, I like the ones that say, the Lord told me I was going to marry you. That's a <laughs> Okay, that's a funny joke there. But uh, when some, some guys don't do that. Okay, not that you would do that, but that would freak out. The, I hope that would freak the girl out, but... Um, yeah, we submit one to another. And uh, how did I even come into that? I, I just blew it up there. Okay. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Wow, God, I am a zero. Thank you, Lord. You're, but I'm all that you say that I am. When we're, when we're small, that we have a ministry. When we're small, we're mentors. When we're small, we're managers. When we're small, we're moms. Because people don't want to see you and me. They don't want to see us. They want to see Christ. They want to hear Christ. They want to watch the work of Christ. Isn't that good? If you and I have days like this where I struggle about the small thing, and then I'm like, I'm like, I'm making something very small into something very big because my ego, right? It's my. It's there's something with my ego, right? But it's, it's a beautiful thing to say, Lord, I humble myself. Therefore, I can humbly take care of the people of God. Right? So, so what? Someone gets upset at you. So what? Right? So what? That someone fleshes out and, and ice picks you between the, in the chest with something. So what? We're dead. Right? Sorry, I'm getting like Thor here. The mar- <laughs> That's a hammer. <laughs> so we're dead. You can't offend a dead man. The church, this is big. We can be a victim so that people can be victorious, right? And I don't care if you disagree with me, honestly. 
But I do care if you disagree with the Bible. Study it for yourself. Learn it yourself. Walk with it yourself. And you know what will happen? When people are hurting, we will walk with them in compassion. That's why we started the class tonight about uh, handling people in failure, right? All right. And then verse 8, a verse we know, spiritual warfare kicks in, right? Spiritual warfare. Be sober, be vigilant. And the only way we're that way is if we're humble. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And by the way, he's never off the job. He's resist him steadfastly in the faith. Faith is the only thing that is our defense. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brother in the world. But notice this. But may the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory by Christ, after you suffered a while, and here, here is the progressive sanctification and maturity, you've perfected, established, strengthened, and settled you. Amazing. So let me just say this. If you have warfare in your life, that's good. It means you're going the right direction, right? Resistance is not a bad thing, right? We're not called to go downstream like the fish. We want to go upstream. We want to be countercultural. We want to have a little bit of backbone that says, you know what? I don't think I see that in the Bible. You want to show me what that is in the Bible? You can lose your salvation? Show me that in the Bible. God predestines people to hell? Show me that in the Bible. Or, uh, you know, you have to be baptized to be saved through baptismal regeneration? Show me that in the Bible through the context of all these verses. Like we want to have a sharp, precise faith that is Christ-centered. And you know what? The devil will be defeated every time. Isn't that good? Okay, let's read this verse. You ready? 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him. Isn't that good? How many cares do you have tonight? Anybody have any cares? Erhan has a lot of cares. No, seriously. Cast them onto the Lord. It doesn't just say throw them a little bit so you can grab them later. It means to literally... Like like the, what do you call that, discus? You throw it with all your might. You get it off you. You get it away from you. And this is why the body of Christ is such an amazing place. Because people in your conversation, the countenance, the, the, the revelation of the body of Christ will set us free. You know, I look at Olu and I'm encouraged. He doesn't have to even open his mouth. Why? Because he walks with God, for instance. Like, that's why we need a church. We need a body. We need a place of accountability and a place where we can cast our cares and we gain perspective. So I'll just say this. If you're angry or upset, um, maybe be careful how much you're ministering and get yourself right. Right? You know what I'm saying? If you're provoked in the flesh, you might want to be with God and have a cross check and just say, Lord, I need you to deal with these things so that I can minister, mentor, manager, and model in, in truth and love and in the spirit of Christ. Because if we get frustrated with people, if we put pressure on people, if we chastise people, people will get hurt. And, 
You know, this happened to my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, and I'll close with this. I got one minute. My mother-in-law, check this story out. My mother-in-law, she, <clears throat> this is a crazy story, but it illustrates my point. Her husband left her for the secretary, right? And, and, they, and he divorced her. She went to the church, not this church, another church, and the church says, oh, you're divorced. You have to sit in the back of the church. You can't sit in the front because you're divorced. You know what that did to my mother-in-law? 20, no, 30 years she didn't go to church. 30 years. That was redeemed where my mother and my mother-in-law went to a Francis a Franklin Graham crusade and I think she gave her life or rededicated her life. And in the last five years of her life, she started walking with God. But the 30, 25 to 30 years, she carried this church hurt that somehow she was, it wasn't even her fault that her, that her husband, I want to be careful how I say his name, <laughs> but he did what he did. And it's like, so a leader has to have a real sensitivity, real, be swift to hear, slow to speak, really prayerful before we open our mouths. Because we could destroy somebody for 30, 25, 30 years or for the rest of their life. Back of the church. Maybe you should sit in the back of the church. <laughs> right? That's right. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came. He was accused of the wine giver. He was someone that went to the lowest place to gather the lowest people. Amen. And that's why we're here, right? All right. Lord, bless us. Thank you, God. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to care for people like Fine China. Help us to care for ourselves the same way, Lord God. And bless our church. Bless, bless these thoughts to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Don't forget your quiz. It's easy. It's only five questions.